Good morning. Hey guys, welcome to Grace. If you have your Bibles, and that would be a wonderful time to go ahead and pull them out, uh, we are going to be in the book of Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, uh, it's otherwise called. And so turn with me in your Old Testament to the book of Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon. If you have your pew Bible and you want to find it, uh, it, it's on page 547. So that's an easy way if you want to use your pew Bible. Uh, Always a good thing to bring your own Bible, and if you don't have access to either of those, the text should be up on the screen. And so as you're flipping and finding the book of uh, Song of Solomon. It's after uh, uh, the big book of Psalms and then Proverbs and then Ecclesiastes. And then you get the very uh, pretty small book of Song of Solomon. And so that's where we're going to be this morning as we continue on in uh, part two of our new series called Relation Slips. And so we have been and will be uh, exploring uh, God's design for relationships, starting with dating and moving right on to a, a lifelong marriage. And so that's, that's our goal, that's our pursuit. And uh, this morning we find ourselves in lesson two called The Pick. Uh, by way of review, as you're flipping and turning, uh, last week we uh, talked about uh, the purpose, uh, the purpose of singleness, if you will. And so uh, we looked at uh, God's purposes and plans and uh, God's point, really, uh, for singleness. And so this morning, we move from, uh, from that to the pick, choosing the right mate. The pick, choosing the right mate. I, I should say choosing the right kind of mate, because that's what it's all about. And so that's where we're going to be this morning, and uh, hopefully you're all there in your text. And uh, so let's do this. Let's pray, and uh, we'll ask God to bless uh, his word and uh, our hearing of it and our receiving it. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the chance for us to gather. Um, it's so very important that we hear from you every day, every moment, and we're so grateful that you speak to us in many different ways, and yet you uh, most certainly, with clarity and authority uh, and certainty, speak to us through your word. And so we come uh, humbly before it this morning. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would uh, be among us and enable my preaching, help me to speak truthfully and powerfully. Holy Spirit, come and enable their listening and engagement that they would be willing to receive the truth uh, that is in your word as from you, uh, not the word of man, but the word of God itself. And so uh, would you be with them, instruct us uh, on these very significant matters. Thank you, Father, that you have not left us to chance in these very um, real and important and pivotal uh, areas of relationships in our, in our lives. And so would you instruct us, would you help us to receive it and to obey it? Uh, we ask it uh, uh, by and through the great name of our God and our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said. Amen, amen. So this morning, we're starting off with the pick, choosing the right mate. And so before we do that, I want to start off with uh, just a few quotations. Uh, Choosing the right mate from a kid's perspective. Uh, What is it that maybe a few kids have to say about choosing the right mate? Gwen, uh, by by age nine, which is not our Gwen here, uh, I don't think. (laughs) Gwen, age nine, says this. When I get married, I want to marry someone who is tall and handsome and rich and hates spinach as much as I do. So that is uh, her perfect mate. Uh, Stephen, by the age of 10, says this, I want to marry somebody just like my mother. Awesome. Except I hope she doesn't make me clean up my room. (laughs) Most likely she will, Stephen. (laughs) Bobby, age 9, says this. This is my favorite. First, she has to like pizza. That's a uh, a good standard. Then she has to like cheesecake. Also a good standard. After that, she has to like fudge candy. Then I know our marriage will last forever. (laughs) 
All right. So what does God have to say about choosing the right mate? Or better, choosing the right kind of mate? Um, I often struggle with this as I was single, as I wrestled with uh, what seemed to be a a clash between God's sovereignty and my responsibility. And so as a single person, I, I struggle with, well, does God have that one person for me? God is sovereign. He's got this one perfect person for me picked out, and I just have to find her, you know? And so what I need to do is I need to use my Bible kind of like a diviner's wand and say, lead me, you know? lead me to her. Where is she? Or on the other hand, there's the responsibility. And I wrestled, well, what if I choose the wrong person? Or do I have any choice in the matter? And I came to realize that as most things, it's, it's, a, it's a both and. It's, it's, it's yes and yes. And so I think the way God works is God is sovereign, and I think he does have the right person for you in mind. But at the same time, you are responsible for choosing the right type of person. That is, having a profile for the kind of person that God desires for you to marry. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning in the pick, choosing the right mate, or better, choosing the right kind of mate. You know, I've heard it said many times from uh, men and women both that I respect, and and they say something along these lines, that choosing your spouse, choosing the person that you're going to marry, is the second most important decision in a lifetime. It's the second most important decision in a lifetime, apart from choosing your God, apart from choosing to believe and put personal faith in Jesus Christ, then choosing who you're going to marry is the most significant decision you will ever make. And I think there's a, there's a bit of wisdom and a bit of truth to that. And so if that is the case, if, if it's really one of the most important picks or decisions that we'll make in this lifetime, has God left us without any guidelines? Has God given us a blueprint? Has God shown us some directives, if you will, for choosing the right kind of mate? Or has he simply just kind of left it to chance? I mean, has he just kind of left it for us to figure out on our own? Has he simply given us us this, uh, this thing called romance and love and relationships, which is a beautiful um, and powerful thing and yet can be a dangerous thing. Has he, has he kind of taken this grenade and, and pulled the plug and said, here you go, figure it out, you know, uh, powerful yet dangerous. I would suggest to you that he is not. In fact, in numerous places and in many books of the Bible, God gives us directions about relationships. And specifically, I think in the Song of Solomon, I can think of no better place that God has given us good, solid direction on the pick that is choosing the right kind of mate. He's not left it simply to chance. He's not left us to play paper, rock, scissors, if you will, a game of chance to choose our mate. Now, a word along those lines. Any of you ever played rock, paper, scissors before? Of course, most of us have. It's a, it's a wonderful game of chance. Um, I have... Uh I have a history with the game, and I'll share a little bit uh, of that history. When I was in college, I decided that I was going to be a business major. I wanted to be a pastor, but Texas A&M, being a secular school, didn't have theology, so I thought, I'll I'll do business, okay? And in the business school, there are several options, accounting, management, you know, finance, all sorts of different things, and I didn't really care. I honestly didn't care. I just thought, let me just get a degree so I can go to seminary and do what I want. And so I, I didn't have much of a preference when it came time my sophomore year to decide what my, my major was going to be. And so I sat down with a good friend and I said, let's play a game of rock, paper, scissors and determine my, my degree in college. And my wife scoffs at this. 
Rightly so, probably so, but I thought, God is sovereign. You know, I was into the sovereignty at that time, so I said, God is sovereign. He's going to lead my pick, and so literally, me and my friend played a game of rock, paper, scissors. Now, I whittled it down to about four or five, you know, ones that I knew I could do, okay, so I didn't just randomly do it, but I had four or five degrees in the business college, and we, we, we rock, paper, scissors did. Now, it wasn't like, you know, one for all, you know, I think we ended up doing like, oh, the best 18 out of 25, you know, like I took it seriously, okay, we played lots of games. But essentially, I chose my major, my degree in college, just by chance. Now, is that how God wants us to choose our mate? I would suggest to you not at all. And so let's, let's do this. In Song of Solomon chapter 1, again, there's no better place that I think God gives us clear guidelines for choosing the right kind of mate. The right kind of mate. Uh, and essentially, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. And so turn with me now to Song of Solomon. And what we see, I think, is uh, no, no less than five guidelines. Five guidelines for choosing the right type of mate. And so before we do that, before we jump into the text, a couple caveats by way of application. Uh, Many of you are married, and so you're not choosing your mate any longer. You have chosen your mate, right? That's the right choice, okay? You chose your mate. So what does this have to do with you? Well, uh, a couple things. Uh, Many of you who are married, you have children, and those children will go through the process in their lifetime of choosing a mate, and hopefully if you've built a good relationship with them, you will have a, a valuable input, and hopefully that input will be heeded and listened to kids and young adults, listen to your parents. They have good advice. Hopefully, you'll be able to influence them, help them along in making the pick. And so this is applicable to you kind of in a secondary manner to help maybe friends or or neighbors or specifically your children in this. Now, those of you both uh, all the way from uh, elementary school to to adulthood in any range, uh, if you're single, then this applies to you if it's something that you're looking uh, towards in marriage. Now, we saw last week that singleness is a good and great and godly uh, gift, and it's a wonderful state. But if it's something that you're looking towards and and thinking God is leading you to, what kind of guidelines do you have? Well, let's jump into the text now and take a look at our guidelines. Uh, The first guideline is found in verses 2 through 4. Verses 2 through 4, and it's this. If you're taking notes, jot it down. First of all, look for character first. Look for character first. Let's just read verses, uh, well, 1 through 4. Solomon's Song of Songs. Uh, And and then the woman begins, and she speaks first. And she speaks of her physical attraction to Solomon. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder, no wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. And so the first couple of verses here that we see, I think, give us the first guideline, and that's this. We need to look for character first. Now, what are, where do we get this from, from the text? Well, let's, let's look at what's happening, and hopefully this will become clear. First of all, the woman speaks. We don't know her name. Uh, we know she is a Shulamite from the region of Shulam, and that's about all we know about her. But she speaks first, and she speaks about what is attractive to her about Solomon. In the grand scheme of the book, if you think it's chronological, 
chronological. This is their dating, if you will. Maybe even predating. It's what initially, that initial spark that attracted them to each other. That is what I believe we see going on here. And what she says is she says she has a, a strong physical attraction to him, right? Notice what she says. I mean, the book starts with a bang. Let him, this is kind of like a request, right? Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Okay, so she begins by saying there's a physical attractive attraction that I have to Solomon. She says, if, if he were to kiss me on my lips, it would be like a wonderful, sweet tasting, uh, the best wine in all of Israel. That's what it would be like on my lips. And so there's physical attraction there. Notice what she says at the end of verse 2. For your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. And so she says, I am physically attracted to you. And she says, he smells good. That's what she says. She says, he smells good. Now, ladies, you don't like it when guys stink, do you? I don't know of any lady who likes it when a guys, uh, when they stink. When I come in from running or mowing, especially in the summer, and I'm sweaty and hot, and my feet are stinky, and I'm like, hi, honey. And she's like, shower, (laughs) you know, immediately. I don't want to smell you. And she says, you know what? I'm attracted to you. You smell good. Now, in a culture where bathing was a delicacy, that says something, right? And so she says, I'm attracted to you. Uh, uh, You smell good. And this is a wonderful thing, right? Um, I remember back in high school days, um, I had athletics, and it was the fourth period, I believe, which was the period right before lunch. So we had three periods, and then athletic period, and then lunchtime, okay? And we had a really uh, cruel and mean athletic director who worked us hard. Sometimes we even had our athletic workouts into our lunchtime. He actually cut our lunch short. And so we oftentimes, as athletes, had to choose what we were going to do. Would we stay and take a shower? and get all smelling nicely because we smell gross at that point or were we going to follow our stomach and go get some lunch we had to make that decision smelling good or eating and oftentimes we chose smelling good over eating because well we're teenage boys and we were going to sit in algebra class that afternoon with a girl that we liked you know and so that's a that's an important thing and so the point here is that there's physical attraction but what I want to get to is this is that it I mean, is that all? Was it just physical attraction that attracted her to Solomon? Or was there something undergirding that? Was there something deriving that? Was there something that was primary? And what I would suggest to you is that, yes, it was his character that drove her attraction to him. And this is why. Take a look at verse 3. She says, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. And then she makes a, a, a word picture. She says, you smell good. And then she says, but your name, your name is also like perfume. Your name also smells good. My translation says your name is like perfume poured out. Your translation may say your name is like purified oil. Now this is a wonderful image because she says you smell really good, but hear me, your character smells sweeter than your perfume. She says, your character, your name, which was a a representative of a person's moral character, his relationship with God. She says, your name smells even sweeter than whatever it is that you're wearing, right? Calvin Klein or whatever. 
And then she says, your character, let, what is it like? How can I, con- I, how can I compare it? It's sweet, but it's, it's not just any kind of oil. It's purified oil. Now, this was the kind of oil that they used in temple worship, and so it was holy. And this is, this is the image. The way that they would make it pure, notice my translation says, by pouring it out, you would essentially have two vats of oil, and you would purify it by putting a filter over one of the vats, right? And so you have the oil, and you pour it into the other cup or the other jar through the filter filter, and you do it back and forth, back and forth, until the oil is progressively made pure. Do you see that? So she says, that's how your character is. It's progressively being made more pure, more holy, more Christ-like through the, through the Word and through the Holy Spirit. She says, your character is better and better and better as every day goes by, and that is why look at character first. In fact, Pastor Tommy Nelson, who's famous for preaching a wonderful sermon series on Song of Solomon, says this. He says, don't worry about finding the right person. Worry about finding the right type of person. And so singles, I want to ask you this question. Are you looking for character first? Is it the character of the man or the woman or the young man or the young woman or the boy or the girl that is driving the attractiveness or the attraction that you feel to that person or is it something less? Is that person that you're interested in or could be interested in or is interested in you or you're dating currently or you're pursuing marriage even, is their character like purified oil? I mean, can you say what she's saying about your guy or your girl when he looks at that character and she says, boy, it's like being refined day by day. It's just being poured out. Guys and gals, single folks, parents who are helping their teenagers or young men and women to find the right mate, look for character first. Look for character first. So we see the first guideline. We see the second guideline, and it's just a very small bit, the tail end of verse 4. And the second guideline is this. Not only should we look for character first, we need to listen we need to listen to trusted advisors. Notice, we are introduced here at the end of verse 4. Your translation may say above it, friends. It may say something to the effect of uh, daughters of Jerusalem. Uh, they're called a few different things. We're not exactly sure what this is or who this is, but I think it's probably uh, some lady friends of hers. I think it's women that she has around her that serve as her advisors. That's what this uh, stylistically and literarily in the book, they play the role of advisor. They affirm, they teach, they interject themselves in the story of this couple. And here, they serve as her trusted advisors. And notice what they advise her. I'll read verse 4 in its entirety. She says, Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. By the way, she says, I want you in a physical way. I'm attracted to you. I would like um, to be intimate with you, she says, as a single, single woman. But what we're going to see a little bit later on is she says, I have these great desires within me for you, but I'm not going to prostitute myself. I'm not going to give in to them until the appropriate time. And so there are these desires. And then the friends chime in. And what do they say? What kind of advice do they give? We rejoice and we delight in you. Speaking, I think, to Solomon. 
we will praise your love more than wine. And so essentially what's happening here is she has some trusted advisors and I think they're affirming her love. She's just said, I'm physically attracted to you. I'm attracted to your looks. I'm attracted to your smell. I'm most attracted to your character. And then her friends pipe in and they say, this is good. That's good. You should be. You should be attracted to him. And so the second guideline is simply this. Listen to trusted advisors. So single folks, do you have trusted advisors in your life that you are willing to let them speak into your life to give you advice on such a sensitive issue. I would encourage you to be willing to do that. So teenagers, let me talk to you a bit. This is hard for me to say and probably harder for you to hear, but I'm talking about people like your parents. I'm talking about people like an aunt or an uncle who is a godly man or a godly woman. I'm talking about an older mentor, maybe your youth group leader or your pastor or maybe a Sunday school teacher. These are the kind of people, teenagers, that I'm talking about. I'm not mostly talking about your friends at school. Now, do you have wise, godly friends at school? You might. I hope you do. You can listen to them, but my experience for, I don't know, eight years of youth ministry is that most of the time when teenagers' friends tell them to date this girl or to date that guy, they give advice on love and relationships. Most of the time, you don't need to be listening to it, okay? There are exceptions, but most of the time, you need to rely on trusted, trusted advisors. And so singles, do you have trusted advisors. My advice is that you would pursue that kind of advice. And so we've seen a couple guidelines. Look at character first. Listen to trusted advisors. And then in verse 5 and 6, we see the third guideline. We need to look. We need to listen. And finally, uh, a third, we need to learn. We need to learn that looks are secondary. Characters first. Looks are secondary. I always get this. I've gotten this for years and years as I've taught through this stuff and worked with teenagers. Well, I mean, I have to like her. She has to look good, and I need to be attracted. Right, yes, 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 yes. Physical attraction is important, okay? So I'll just put that myth to bed. It's important, okay? But most of the time when I get that, what they're saying is, dude, she's hot. I want to date her, and I don't care what she's doing, or I don't care what kind of God she serves. That's most of the time what they're saying. So learn that looks are secondary. Important, yes, but not primary. Let's read this. In verses 5 and 6, what we see is that she speaks, and she speaks about him in the first section, the first few verses. Now, she's going to turn, and she's going to speak about herself, okay? Now, notice how she speaks about herself. She's going to talk about her looks. We do learn a bit about her character from this as well, but she's primarily focusing on her looks, and she's downplaying them. Single gals, women, listen, she's downplaying her physical attractiveness. It's not unimportant, it's just not most important. Notice what she says. Verse 5, dark am I, yet lovely. So she's attractive. Dark am I, yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem. Like the dark, uh, dark like the tints of uh, Kedar, like the tints, uh, tint curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I'm dark, because I'm darkened by the sun. My mother's sons, that is her brothers, were angry at me, and they made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard, my own vineyard, I had to neglect. And so she speaks here about her looks, and she downplays her looks. This is essentially what was going on. In that culture, it was completely different from our culture. Traditionally, in our culture, to be dark, to be tan, to be sunburned, right? Is that attractive, or is it not? 
Yes, right? Most of the time, it's a good thing to be dark in our culture and to be kind of white and pale and pasty is, is looked down upon by our culture. But in that culture, it was completely different for women. Because in that day, if you were a woman and you were dark, that meant that you had to be outside, which meant you weren't in the house or in the home. You were outside working, which was a male thing, and that was looked down upon. And so guys wanted pale, white, and pasty. They didn't want dark and tan, right? And so she says, don't, don't, don't look at me because I'm, I'm dark. And then she tells us why. Why is she dark? Notice verse 6. My mother's sons were angry at me, and they made me take care of the vineyards. So apparently, her family had vineyards that they took care of, and we don't know where her dad is, but uh, there's the authority in her life, the brothers, and they made her work. <clears throat> they made her work outside. She was obedient to do that, but she got dark because of that. So she says, this is why I'm dark. And then notice, I think every woman understands what she's saying here. I had to work outside. They made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard, I hadn't to neglect. What was she talking about, ladies? What? Herself, her body, her own look. She said, I was out there and, and I couldn't, I had to ne- neglect my physical looks, right? So guideline number three. Learn that looks are secondary. So ladies, young ladies of all ages, I'm going to ask you this. Do you realize that looks should not be driving a man's attractiveness to you? It has to be there, absolutely, but it should not be primary. And I would suggest to you that the right guy, the right kind of guy, ladies, single ladies, listen, the kind of guy that you're going to want to seriously be in a relationship with and pursue in marriage is going to consider looks to be secondary. Yes, he needs to be attracted to you, but it's not going to be primary. It will be secondary. Proverbs 31.30, it's familiar to most of us, says this, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. That is, you won't always look like you do now. But a woman, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And so the precedent here, ladies, is that there needs to be attentiveness given to your character and to your relationship with God and that, yes, you can take care of the outside, but don't take care of the outside to the neglect of the inside. Author Jen Schmidt, she says this about this text, and it's wonderful. I'd like to read it to you. She says this, charm and beauty are not a good dating plan. Hear that? Charm and beauty are not a good dating plan. She says, we put massive pressure on ourselves to pour on the charm and look cute wherever we go, not realizing that a godly man will also be concerned about inner beauty. And then she says this about how women dress. Do not falsely advertise what is not available to anyone but your future husband. Isn't that good? Ladies, don't falsely advertise by what you wear, speaking of what you show on your body. Don't falsely advertise what is not available to anybody else but your future husband because you could get sued for false advertising, right? Not a good thing. So guys, what about you? That means that just because she looks good and you're attracted to her and she looks good in the dress or the jeans or whatever, it doesn't mean that she's worth pursuing. Maybe she is, and that's a good thing, but what is, what is the character? What's driving that? If you pursue purely for reasons of looks, you might get a P2211. Jot that down. A P2211. 
It's a Proverbs 22:11 girl, like a gold ring and a pig's snout, is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. So what he's saying is, what you might get is this beautiful, lovely, external golden ring that shimmers and shines on the outside, but it's attached to something dirty and ugly and pig-like. And you may look and say, that's a beautiful gold ring. And then, you, and then you look at the inside and you're like, yeah, but that's a horribly ugly fat hog is what it is. So guys, you don't want a P2211, okay? You do not want a P2211. You want a P3130, okay? That is what you want. Tommy Nelson, again, says this about this text, about looks. He says three things. Looks deceive, they decline, they deceive, they decline, and they never cancel out. So I'm going to quote. He says, looks deceive. They're deceptive. You don't know what you're getting just from looks, okay? The outside might look good. The inside may, may not so be. Looks not only deceive, but they decline. And I'm quoting him. Singles, <clears throat> there will be a day when your spouse will step out of the shower and you will laugh out loud, okay? I don't know if our day is here yet, honey, but uh, <laughs> I hope not. If I hear you snickering, then I'll know. Uh, so they, de- they deceive, they decline. And he said, never, looks never cancel out. Looks never cancel out. A lack of character. They don't cancel out a lack of character. And then he says, you never hear somebody say, yes, she's disrespectful and petty and angry, but boy, she's got great legs. You know, you don't hear that. He says, oh, you never hear a lady say he's stingy and selfish and abusive and has foul language, but man, he looks good in jeans. You know, they don't cancel out. So three guidelines. Look for character. Listen to trusted advisors. Learn that looks are secondary. Then fourth, never, <clears throat> never lower your standards. Verse seven, never lower your standards, either your moral standards or your standards for the kind of guy that you should be looking for, or the kind of gal that you should be looking for. Verse seven, tell me, you whom I love. So he's, she's talking to Solomon here, okay? She's talking to Solomon, and notice what she wants. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flocks, or maybe your pasture is a word, where you pasture your flock, and where you rest your sheep at midday. Notice the time reference, midday or noon. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? This is highly poetic image. I don't think Solomon was a literal sheep herder. He was a king, probably had better things to do than to tend sheep, okay? But oftentimes in the Old Testament, kings are likened to shepherds because they lead people. So I think this is what she's saying. She's like, tell me, Solomon, tell me you who my soul loves, where do you graze your flock and where do you rest your sheep at midday? Essentially what she's asking is this, how can I have a meeting with you? That's what she's asking. How can I meet you? How can I go to be where you are? How can I do that without lowering my moral standards? Notice that. She says, I want to meet you in the daytime. The time reference is extremely important. Oftentimes in the, uh, the heat of the day, the shepherds would take their sheep into shade because it was hot and they would rest them there in the middle of the day when it's light. And she says, that's when I want to meet you, when it's light outside, not, and she contrasts it, not like a veiled woman. This is a reference to a prostitute because prostitutes in those days, what they would do is they would wait till twilight. They would wait till the sun is going down. You can't see very well. And what they would do is they would say, oh, they're the shepherds and I'm gonna go and I'm just gonna hang out right around and make myself available to the shepherds at the end of the day. So she says, 
I'm not, I'm not going to lower my moral standards to get you, Solomon. That's what she says. I'm not going to make myself like a veiled woman. And so ladies, <coughs> women, single, young teenagers, if you are in a dating relationship and he is pushing you physically, dump him right now, okay? That's what I say to my students when I did youth ministry. If he's pushing you, he does not love you, he wants something else, dump his booty. <laughs> and in the heat of the moment, hopefully I didn't say something else. But I would say, get rid of him. Dump him, you know? And I would say to the guys, guys, listen, this is not as common, but it does happen. If you have, you're a believer, you have moral standards, and she's pushing you, you need to get rid of her. Right now, right now, you need to do it, because she will not help you pursue Christ in your character. Character, instead of being refined, it's going to be dirtied. It's going to be dirtied. But this doesn't just apply, I think, to sexuality. I think this applies in a broad, a broad array. She says, I'm not going to settle. I'm not going to settle. And so I've asked my wife if she's here. I, I see, yeah, there you are. I see you chasing down our daughter. If somebody could gladly take our daughter, my wife is going to come up here, or maybe she's going to come join us. Piper, we're going to teach you early, little girl. Oh, thanks. <laughs> my wife is going to come, and she's going to share a little bit about some of her experiences with this. And so, uh, baby, thanks for doing that. There you go. So come on up to the hot seat. It won't be so hot, I don't think. Um, just wherever you want. So, and, 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 and Shelly, I don't know if you guys knew this, but she has quite a, an extensive background in youth ministry as well. And so it's extensive, honey. Come on. Yeah, yeah, give me that face. And uh, so in your experience, I wanted, to, I wanted you just to share a little bit, especially for our teenagers and, and young singles, um, what are some of the experiences that you have, maybe a story or two, uh, about young ladies specifically, or it could be guys, I have stories about guys, um, kind of lowering, lowering their standards, maybe not even moral standards, but kind of saying, I'm just, I'm just settling here, you know. This is less than God's ideal for the guy, but hey, we're just dating, we're just having fun, you know. Sh- give us some insight here, and then we'll wrap up. Okay. Um, a couple came to mind that as Trey was asking me about that. And one gal, both are from uh, the Dallas area. So no one here. No, no <laughs> <Right>. one here. <laughs> um, and one gal in particular started dating a guy in high school, and he was not a Christian, and she uh, was. And I expressed my concerns. I said, you know, he's not a Christian. You really shouldn't even start a relationship. And and her response back was, oh, it's just for fun. This is just high school, and it's just for fun, having a good time. And then she said, um, besides, he's really got a lot of good questions about being a Christian. He's, he's interested in it. So it was that missionary dating feel, you know, like, oh, I'm going to help him out in his spiritual walk. And so I just, you know, she dated him. And sure enough, a couple years later, I talked to her again in college, and she was still dating him. And he still had a lot of good questions, but uh, had never made that leap, had never become a Christian, and it just broke my heart, because I thought, yeah, you thought it was just for fun, but now you're attached. Now you're emotionally attached. And I don't know, uh, from there, I haven't talked to her, so I don't know what the end of that story is. Um, But you see that a lot, um, especially... You know, you think it's just for fun, but then you fall in love. And then you can't see anything clearly at that point. So if you don't have a, a, a strong commitment to dating a Christian before you get into the relationship, then you can really hurt yourself. Even um, a Christian, maybe with, with, with character that we're talking about here as well. Yeah. 
And that's kind of my other story would then be... Well, segue. Um, <laughs> segue into the next <laughs> one. Go. The other gal that came to mind was a little gal who just passionate about the Lord. We would go to Starbucks and spend hours talking yes, about would. God. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you couldn't get away. Like, we just talk about God and what he meant to us and questions about the Bible and all of these things. And she started dating a guy who... He seemed to be a Christian. I didn't doubt that, but just kind of nominal. Didn't care nearly as much about God as she did. So I felt like there was this unequal, uh, unbalance. Um, strong Christian, not so strong Christian. And to me, uh, I just thought, red flag, big red flag. And uh, sure enough, they kept dating through college, went to the same college, and they just got married. I don't know where they are spiritually now. Last I caught up with her a couple of years ago, they were still dating at the time, thinking about marriage. Um, she wasn't going to church. He wasn't going to church. It is as if, if he didn't drag her down, at the least, he, did never, he never encouraged her spiritually. Um, she was the one lifting him up, encouraging him to go to church in high school and telling him it was important and, and helped him. But at some point, he never helped her in return. And so I felt like she settled because she did not marry someone who was encouraging her spiritual walk. Um, and that was for her. She, was in a, she loved the Lord. She, she could have used that kind of partner that would encourage and keep her committed to church and to God and to ministry, and she didn't find that. And it made me really sad to see that instead she had fallen back a few notches in her own relationship with Christ. And I think the the spouse she chose did not help that. Baby, thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks. So we've seen a few guidelines. This last one is never lower your standards. We're going to wrap up with the fifth. Fifth and final guideline, and we find it in verse 8. It's this. Locate godly singles. Verse 8. Locate godly singles. If you, again, the friends pipe in, okay, so here they are giving advice, being a trusted advisor, and they give her good advice again in verse 8. If you do not know most beautiful of women, talking about this girl, here's the advice. Follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherd. I think essentially what she's saying, what these ladies are saying is, is listen, if you want to know where he's at, uh, likening him to a shepherd who has sheep, she says, listen, they say, listen, if you want to know where this guy is and you want to put yourself in his tracks, follow the tracks of the sheep. That is, follow the trail of where he leads his sheep, where he is, go where he hangs out and put yourself there in a position. So the final guideline, locate godly singles. Uh, I've told this story before, and I'll tell it again. I think Shelly did a wonderful job of doing this with me. Uh, She played this fine balance between making herself available to me and not being initiating. I was very, very shy and very, very scared. And so it took me a long time for me to get the guts to talk to her even or ask her out. But she was persistent. I don't know why, but she was persistent, and uh, she literally, for probably weeks, I had a 745 Greek class. If you go to seminary and you take Greek, do not take it at 7.45 in the morning, okay? So I would get out at 9, and I'd walk out, probably half asleep and glazed over, and there she is, putting herself right at the, the doorway, right at the edge of the door every, every morning, just so, I could, you know, just so I could notice her, just so I could say hello. And I knew her at the time, but just barely. We were just acquaintances, you know? But she did a wonderful job of doing this. Again, Jen Schmidt uh, wonderfully says this, uh, particular to ladies, about how to do this well. She says peruse, but don't pursue. Peruse, 
which means kind of look around, right? But don't pursue. Let him initiate. Take notice of the godly men serving Jesus around you, but never stalk. It's creepy. And I agree. <laughs> never stalk. It's creepy. Cross, cross paths with a man you're interested in, but don't tackle him, okay? So you can cross his path, but don't do a form tackle, okay? That's not good either. And so single ladies and, and guys, are you putting yourself in a position to meet the kind of guy or the kind of gal? Parents, are you going to help your children or your grown children or your friends? You're going to help them put themselves in the position where they can lead, uh, meet godly men. Or are they going to help them locate godly singles, Teenagers, uh, let me, just a word to the wise. I grew up in a small town, very much like this one. Uh, We may have had, I think I graduated with 60 people in my class, so maybe a little bit bigger, but it's a small town, just like this one, okay? Uh, Word to the wise. I became a Christian when I was 16, 15, 16 years old, and um, I think I maybe only went out on one date during that time period, mostly because I was scared and no girl would go with me. But, you know, I didn't ask anybody out either. But it was because I had this conviction, and it was a growing conviction that I needed to date someone who was worth dating, you know. I wasn't interested in being married, but there was still, just instilled in me by my youth pastor, just don't, don't settle. And so when I was in high school, I didn't really date anybody after I became a Christian. And, and part of that conviction was I looked at the pond of Banketti, Texas. That's where I grew up, Banketti, Texas. This little town of Banketti. And I said, okay, we're, who are the fish? And I looked at all the single girls in my class or in classes below or above. And I didn't see any fish worth keeping. Get the image? I did not see any fish worth keeping. My dad goes fishing quite a bit. Oftentimes I'll say, Dad, did you catch fish? He'll say, yeah, I caught a lot of fish, but none of them were worth keeping. And I threw them back. And that's young people, I would say. If you are in a small pond like Cisna Park, and you say, there's no godly guys, there's no girls worth dating in my class, or even in the classes above, and you feel like, yeah, you feel like that. Oh, you cry like a baby, you know, because there's nobody worth dating, you know? That's how I felt. Just wait. Just wait until you get to a bigger pond, okay? It's okay. Wait till you move. Wait till your pond expands, okay? Wait. Do not settle. Locate godly singles. So finally, finally, we've seen uh, how to pick a godly right mate. And we've seen five standards. But before we do that, I want to end my sermon by saying this. We began by saying, that picking your spouse, picking who you're dating, is the second most important decision in your life. It's very important, but it's not the most important decision. The most important decision that you'll ever make, the most important pick that you'll ever make, is not who you're going to marry, but it's what God you're going to serve, okay? It's following Jesus Christ. And so we've seen five guidelines to choosing the right mate. Let me give you five guidelines very quickly to picking the right God. Because that is utterly significant. Number one, first guideline, God has made us to know him and to love him and to serve him. Second guideline, humanity rebelled. We brought sin and suffering and separation from our God into the world. The third guideline, our rebellion, our sin, deserves God's eternal wrath. Bad news. Fourth guideline, God loved us enough to make a way, to make a way to reconcile this sin issue, to reconcile with us, and he did it by sending Jesus to live the perfect life, to die the death in our place, to bear the wrath that we deserve, and by simple faith and trust in him to secure our relationship with him. That's the fourth guideline. And fifth, God demands 
He demands that we repent and that we place our faith in Jesus Christ. And that, friends, that's how you pick your God. Those are five guidelines for picking the right God. So, singles, adults who have friends who are singles or kids, how do you know, what kind of guidelines do you have? Have you been just kind of playing paper, rock, scissors in this whole deal? Have you just been going like paper, rock, scissors? I'm going to date that guy. Paper, rock, scissors. I'm going to date that girl. Guys, God has not left it to chance. He's given us guidelines. Look for character first. Listen to trusted advisors. Learn that looks are secondary. Never lower your standards. Locate godly singles. And if you follow these guidelines, you certainly will make the right pick. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it speaks to us in very sensitive and yet vital areas of our lives. Thank you for the example of Solomon and his first bride, I believe. Thank you regardless that your word has preserved this for us and the truths that are deep and rich. And so, Father, help us if we're single. Help us if we're married to help those who are single. Help us ourselves, uh, even if we're married, to have our character refined like oil through a filter that we might grow more and more in godliness and our spouse might be more and more attracted to us because our bodies will waste away and we won't look like we're gonna look like on the wedding day, but our character can grow increasingly beautiful and lovely and attractive. Oh God, do that in our marriages. Give our single people here wisdom. Give them guidance. Help them to hear from your word, to obey, and to know that your guidelines for us are guardrails. You want us to bowl a strike in this area, and you provide us with wonderful guardrails so that our bowling ball, so to speak, of a choice, the pick, so that it can be good and straight. And so God, help us. We want to honor you in this way. And so we ask it in your great name and the great name of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.